Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. This is RU Fan Jerry, and welcome to another edition of the R Big Show as we head into uh, the fourth week of the college football season. Rutgers will be hosting the Kansas Jayhawks, the first ever meeting for the two schools, and this will be on Saturday at noon at High Point Solutions Stadium, and this is also homecoming for Rutgers uh, this Saturday. Um, Of course, both teams are stumbling into this matchup. Uh, Kansas is 0-2 over bye week last week, and Rutgers, after taking a uh, much-anticipated trip, uh, at least for the fans, into uh, Happy Valley last week, uh, where the results uh, were definitely uh, not uh, pretty, uh, falling uh, 28-3 to Penn State in that game. Um, And obviously, uh, much has been talked about with the Scarlet Knights and and a very depleted uh, team uh, that uh, is out there competing. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, I would say, um, as so astutely, uh, ESPN uh, put on their front page today, and I think uh, many of us were not too thrilled to see that uh, the the Kansas State and Rutgers matchup, uh, you know, uh, in terms of records, not one of the prettier ones. But um, I tell everyone who follows along because this is a, a definitely a tough time for Rutgers, which right now is in its uh, worst start since the 2008 season when they started off one and five uh, before finishing that season seven and five. So. Uh, things are always possible, um, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is an opportunity for the team to get back in the win column, go two and two, uh, and this is still a program that's been in a bowl game nine out of ten years, and that is still reachable. So uh, we will uh, definitely uh, touch base about that game coming up. I'm, I'm excited to have uh, David Potter, who is a contributor at Land Grant Gauntlet uh, Big Ten blog, and also has his own um, statistical blog, and we'll talk a little bit about that, and then later get into uh this is not only a rocket show it's also a big 10 show i want to talk a little bit of big 10 football and what's going on with some of the other programs uh and and a potential future opponent later in the season for for the scarlet knights in indiana who's 3-0 and kind of one of the early surprises for the season and taking call-ins of course at the middle of the show the number is 914-338-1694 so uh, be ready, call in. And today I definitely hope I, I can get some callers to discuss what they feel uh, should be, or, or I shouldn't say should be, but the situation at the quarterback position for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, um, you know, Chris Laviano has, has uh, you know, wouldn't say uh, he, he is at the point where it's totally in need of, of a, of a, of a benching, if you want to say for real, but uh, when you have a quarterback race that was so close, uh, that was really decided at the last minute, uh, you would think that the possibility of, of seeing that second quarterback get some play time, especially at the end of the game against Penn State, uh, that that would happen. So uh, that's a question, and, and I want to see what people's thoughts are, um, as well as any other uh, general themes with the Scarlet Knights on the football field. We're trying to keep this all to the football field. There's been enough on or off the football uh, talk for a lifetime uh, around this Rutgers program for the uh, the last month. So hopefully this show will be a uh, reprieve from all of that and, and we've talked some football. So 
uh, without further ado, uh, I would like to uh, welcome David uh, to the show. David, thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So, uh, obviously, you know, before we jump into a little bit of uh, to talk about Jayhawks and, and, and Kansas uh, and Rutgers matchup coming up, uh, you know, it's now heading into that fourth week of the season where a lot of teams are starting to get ready to, to head into conference play. Um, some teams still obviously have some bigger, non, you know, non-conference games. Uh, for those of out here, you know, now in uh, Big Ten land, I guess we can call ourselves finally, but, uh, you know, what are the big theme stories out in Big 12 uh, football? I know everybody keeping an eye on, uh, you know, Oklahoma. Are, are they a legitimate threat to, to crack the Final Four? But, uh, you know, what are some of the storylines in, in Big 12 land right now? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, like you said, uh, Oklahoma, there, there's some questions to whether, you know, they may be back on the right track after a few, uh, what would be considered down years by their standards. Um, but then there's also, uh, you know, TCU and Baylor were the two favorites to be one and two again this year, but now TCU's defense has been just decimated by injuries and now suspensions. Um, I, I believe they're down to one returning starter on the defensive side, so there's some question as to whether TCU can hang around up at the uh, the top of the rankings this year with uh, with their depth cut the way it has been on the defensive side of the ball. And then Baylor has been giving up some points to some weak opponents this year, something that we haven't seen from them in the last couple of years. So I think there's some there's some question marks around the teams at the top of the conference and. And uh, there's some question as to whether some teams that were thought to be maybe second tier, like West Virginia and Oklahoma State, that uh, might be able to move up and maybe maybe even compete for the title if uh, if those top teams end up with a loss or two. Right, and of course, uh, West Virginia uh, takes on um, Oklahoma this week, so I think that will be a uh, uh, an early test or of uh, I guess elimination round, and that's you know uh, early in the season. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I haven't looked at it at, uh, at the schedule. I'm not sure if what if that's this week or next week, but uh, but yeah, that 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 should be uh, that that should tell us kind of where both programs are at, or at least help uh, define them a little more. Now, you know, before we move on fully into the uh, Kansas and 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 you know, some of the storylines in this game, uh, uh, you know, obviously we're out here in New Jersey, and it's a, it's a uh, you know, Rutgers crowd, and I always like to, you know, bring some Jersey themes from the other program. Uh, you know, Kansas was coached by Charlie Weiss, a New Jersey guy. And, uh, you know, I not, you know, after his stint at, at Notre Dame and, uh, you know, then, you know, with um, obviously going to uh, the Chiefs and then to Florida and then to Kansas, I, I guess I would say from your perspective, probably disappointing in, in the results. And, uh, you know, is this slow start that we're seeing this year, uh, you know, kind of a, 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 uh, a byproduct of some of the recruiting mishaps that took place? And or I guess basic question, you know, why did Charlie Weiss fail in Kansas? Uh, I think uh, part of it is just that Kansas has historically not been the easiest place to win. And, and then Charlie Weiss's, uh, general recruiting philosophy, he he tried to model it after what Bill Snyder has done at K-State, which is relying heavily on JUCO recruits at times to fill uh, immediate holes on the roster. And he he really bought into that philosophy uh, 
really all the way and to the point where more than half of two of his recruiting classes were JUCO players. And unfortunately, a lot of them, uh, you know, either never never really took off and never really played as well as expected or never even ended up playing. We had uh, one that got arrested, um, several that just left the program, a, a couple who got injured and never played. And so it, it resulted in a situation where the, res- the roster now is just uh, completely depleted. Uh, last year's roster was just full of seniors. And now uh, we're left with uh, between 60 and 65 scholarship players on the roster out of a possible 85, uh, which is just not a recipe for a good Division One football team. So, um, yeah, that uh, he, he gambled on a lot of JUCOs, and a lot of them just didn't work out. And now uh, David Baby is kind of trying to build build the roster back up almost from from square one from where Charlie left it. No, it's a great point. I mean, obviously, when you bring in a junior uh, college player, you know, you, not only uh, they have a limited time where they can basically contribute, you obviously, uh, you know, they have to come in, they have to get right in, and then they're not going to have four years to develop or three years to develop. So it's a good point. I mean, um, comparing it to what's going on with, with, with Rutgers uh, back in 2012, six of the top seven defensive backs graduated or and and fools went on to the NFL. The 2013 season was a very rough year and, and I think a lot of people now are questioning uh you know with with some of the arrests and you mentioned some of the players that, that have been kicked off a lot of them were on the defensive backfield. Uh were were there red flags that you know you bring in players that you normally wouldn't be bringing in and, and I think that's kind of the game that's played also with when you're going out so heavily into Juco players. Um, you know, there may have been a reason why they did not make uh, or, or, you know, go directly into a high-profile program. Now, looking at, at this team, obviously, uh, this, you know, obviously did not get off to a, a good start for the for the year. Um, but, you know, heading into this game, I, I would probably think, uh, you know, with Rutgers being one and two, with the only win against a uh, uh, FCS team, I'm sure that Candace itself is probably looking at this as an opportunity for a victory. On your side of the, the football, um, particularly offensively, uh, you know it's it's really no secret that Rutgers has a very young defensive backfield. I'm hearing something that Kansas is going to be looking to uh, uh, an up-tempo offense. Um, you know what can we expect in terms of of the key matchups uh, from the offensive side of the ball for Kansas? Uh, Kansas will try and run as many plays as they can. They really. Uh have modeled their uh, the tempo tempo of the offense after what teams like Oregon and Baylor and Texas Tech are, are doing. They were, uh, they run between 80 and 90 plays in both of their first two games, so they they will run an up tempo offense. Um, you know, David Beatty came in and said that he wanted to establish an air raid offense and hired uh, Tim Likens, who's from the Sunny Dyke School of uh, of offense, who's who's coached the air raid uh, for for many years now. Um, but they've shown a willingness to deviate from that plan when other things are working. You know, in, the, in their first game against South Dakota State, the ground game was really working very well, and they ended up running, uh, I think, about 10 more times than they ended up passing in that game. So I, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to air it out 50 or 60 times. It just kind of depends on what's working. But uh, I would expect to see a lot of short passes to try and set up um, maybe some longer games in the passing game uh, later on in the game if they can get that short passing, short range passing game working. 
but that's going to be dependent on quarterback Montel Cozart uh, settling down and being a little more accurate than he was last week. Uh, through his first two years, that was the main complaint about Montel Cozart was his accuracy, um, some erratic passing, and it looked to be improved a little bit in week one against South Dakota State, but some of those problems of missing open receivers returned uh, two weeks ago against Memphis. So uh, fans are a little a little worried right now as to which version of Montel Cozart we're going to be getting this year, if he's really improved or not. Now, from his statistics, uh, you know, he, he has only one interception on the year. Uh, is is accuracy more of the general problem than say trying to force balls into uh, you know tighter you know, windows than he should be? It really is. And last week, well, I guess it was two weeks ago against Memphis, um, there were multiple times where he had uh, specifically tight ends finding seams in uh, Memphis's zone that were open that had at least one step on their man, and he he just missed them. Uh, specifically, when he can be forced out of the pocket. And uh, and you take away his running lanes. Cozart is dangerous if you can let him run. But uh, if if you can put a spy on him and uh, and and get good coverage downfield and make him uh, make pinpoint passes, then he can struggle with that, especially when he's been forced out of the pocket and he's having to throw on the run. So it's not necessarily a matter of forcing the ball into tight spaces. It, it really is that he. He can be made to feel uncomfortable a little uh, a little too easily for a quarterback at this level. Yeah, so talk, Greg, just walk us through the 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 offense uh, two weeks ago. Rutgers played um, Washington State, and of course, that was Mike Leach and his air raid offense. Um, uh, do they actually employ a different, a similar offense uh, personnel-wise in terms of you know one running back, and sometimes uh, you'll see four four receivers. Uh, uh, you know, typically every single time out, you'll you'll have three and maybe not a tight end. Uh, you know, what's the general uh, formation that, that you'll see? You'll typically see at least three, and uh, if not, maybe most of the time four guys split out. But uh, two of Kansas' best receivers actually happen to be tight ends. They just don't play tight end in the traditional sense of lining up with the line and in a more of a blocking role. They do split them out and use them more like a Jimmy Graham type of player. Uh, they're, they're taller, sleeker, more athletic type of tight ends, and uh, so you'll see them used essentially as wide receivers. Uh, but most plays you will see four players split out and only one running back in the backfield uh, with the quarterback. Well, safe to say, uh, Rutgers will continue to see a lot of the uh, uh, double wide receiver sets and, and the quick uh, screens out into the uh, – into the flat and force uh, the young cornerbacks. Um, uh, right now they're playing basically four freshmen, one redshirt freshman, and, and uh, we saw it last week again against Penn State where they're just forcing them to uh, to make tackles out there in space, and, and it causes issues when the, when the safeties and linebackers then have to come over and uh, provide some support, and you can, uh, as, as they were gashed uh, basically by Penn State by running up the middle, um, Keon Kinner has um, some good numbers in terms of average uh, yards per carry, six uh, uh, yards a carry. So, um, but other than and Kinner and and Kozar, it seems like there's not much, uh, um, you know, running the ball. You did mention they did or in the first game, um, you know, commit to it a little bit. But uh, is Kinner really basically uh, the head, uh, you know, lead uh, running back? 
Yeah, Kidner is the guy they want running the ball. Uh, they'll they'll spell him for one series at a time here and there with uh, DeAndre Mann, who's a, a different style of runner. He's definitely a step slower and more of a slasher, more of a physical type of runner. Um, and, and they they seem to like to use him in the passing game a little more. Uh, so far, I don't believe Kidner has a reception on the year. They haven't, uh, as good as he's been running, they'd like to see, uh, but when DeAndre Mann's in the game, they do like to get him involved in the passing game a little more. So they they offer different skill sets, and but uh, for the most part, you will see Kenner because he's uh, he, he's really been the the lone high point for the Kansas offense so far. He's he's an interesting combination of small and quick, but also powerful, and he's uh, he's hard to bring down. And he's hard to get your hands on. So. Uh, he is the, definitely the player to watch as far as Kansas' offense is concerned. So now, David, we'll flip over to the other side of the ball. I mean, now Rutgers is a pro-style offense. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll have a fullback. We'll use tight ends. Um, tries to run the football. Uh, and, and the current quarterback, um, you know, many see him as a game manager type. And obviously without uh, their best player, um, you know, perhaps on the, on the team, Leontay Carew uh, at wide receiver, uh, they will continue to, to go that route. So now Kansas gave up 41 points to South Dakota State, 55 to Memphis. Um, you know, what are the struggles that they're having on defense and, and, and then what sort of uh, matchups, uh, issues may they face against Rutgers or, or you know, possibly maybe even a team that, that's just trying to grind it out may be something that they need. Uh, I think the biggest, well, the the two biggest problems are one just inexperience. Um, you know, Ben Goodman on the defensive line is the only player who started last, who started all twelve games last year, who returns. Uh, they basically have an entirely new defensive line. Aside from him, they lost both their returning uh, starters at linebacker. They lost their entire secondary. So it's really a brand new group of players playing out there, and they're they're kind of learning on the job right now. And from what I've seen, uh, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of team speed out there. And you've got a couple of good, strong physical linebackers, but they don't do especially well in space. They don't do real well in coverage. Um, and, and playing teams that like to spread it out, that's caused problems so far. And, uh, you know, that that's not necessarily Rutgers' MO, so I don't know that that will come into play as much. But, um, you know, there, there's some weakness on the interior defensive line. And then uh, cornerback especially has been tough. The corners have not looked good in man-to-man coverage. Um, they, they've really needed safety help to shut down good receivers so far this year. So there's really no – there's nothing that offenses have done against them so far that, that hasn't worked to some extent. So that the defense is really the side of the ball that's, uh, that's troubling fans most right now because they, they just really haven't looked good at, at any facet of it so far. So obviously, uh, you know, two teams: Kansas 0 and 2, Rutgers 1 and 2. A uh, a key game in terms of wanting to salvage the season for both of those is, you know, Kansas doesn't want to start 0 and 3, and and Rutgers really doesn't want to start 1 and 3. You're heading into uh, a pretty brutal stretch of their schedule coming up soon. So, uh, you know, in in talk, looking back at our our talk here, um, any key points of this game that uh, maybe we didn't touch that you think um, will come into play? 
I think Kansas' offense and how much success they can have against Rutgers' defense is going to be the biggest key for whether or not they can hang into this game because their defense hasn't shown any signs of being able to shut anyone down so far. I think that's going to make most of Kansas' games this year uh, track meet-style games. Um, and so it's just going to be a matter of whether or not Kansas' offense can keep the ball moving and keep putting points on the board and keep up with the opponent. So if uh, if Kansas gets stopped a few times early and gets a couple of three and outs, I think that really puts them behind the eight ball because they, they just don't have a, a defense right now that they can rely on to, to come up with some stops of their own and give them a chance to crawl back into game. So I, I think that's kind of the key on Kansas' side is can they get the ball moving on offense and can they keep it moving and keep putting up points throughout the game without uh, without stalling out. That's great important. And, of course, it's, it, one of the things about an up-tempo offense, uh, it, it's sometimes not a friend of the defense. Uh, you know, when it's moving and tying around the, the defense, it looks good. Uh, but when you're one, two, three, and out and put your defense right back out there, it, you know, can, can also be a detriment. Uh, Dave, I, I appreciate you calling. Um, uh, before I let you go, I want to, try, you know, ask you, I know you also run a, a statistical uh, a numbers website. I, I'm kind of a numbers guy, so I like to hear about uh, – uh, a little bit more about that. Um, now, I think you get into rankings and, and both in football and basketball. Uh, you know, what are some of your core philosophies that, that maybe, um, you know, separate what you are, are put into yours or maybe things that you think should always be included in, in uh, college rankings? It's at its early stages right now, so I'm still kind of uh, fine-tuning the formulas. But basically what it's set up or what it's based on is statistical categories that have had the highest correlation with winning percentage over the years. So it's really what my system does is measure how well a team does, you know, winning things, for lack of a better term, uh, how, how well they do the things that uh, teams do uh, that win a lot of football games. So, you know, some of those categories are, uh, you know, how efficiently they score points, um, how how frequently they finish drives, end up with points out of drives, um, you know, the, the percentage of their possessions that end in punts, the percentage of the time that they could force punts or turnovers on downs. Um, you know, just, just uh, the, the things that winning teams do, it's basically – an amalgamation of all those stats that uh, that combine to to tell you more than maybe what the record says, and just tells you uh, how well they do the things that uh, that winning teams tend to do. Well, it sounds like uh, something fun, so I'll keep keep an eye on that. That's at uh, blanalytics.com, and of course, I mentioned that uh, you also contribute to the Land Grant Goldman. Um, people want to check out some Big Twelve football. Um, and uh, before I let you go, uh, David, let everybody know where they can find you, whether it's on Twitter or any other social media sites out there. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at BL underscore analytics. Uh, like you mentioned, I do write for uh, Lane Grant Gauntlet. And then I'm also one of the managing editors for, editors for Rock Chalk Talk, which is a, a Kansas-devoted website. So if you want to read up on uh, on anything that, that the Jayhawks have done so far this year, you can go to rockchalktalk.com, and uh, there's plenty of content there. You can uh, you can read up on on uh, what they've done so far and what you know how the fans are feeling about the team right now. 
Great. Well, again, I appreciate you um, coming on to the show, and uh, uh, you know, we'll uh, potentially talk uh, again in the future. All right, definitely. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks, to David, for joining the show. And, uh, you know, looking forward now, um, switch base, and you talked a little Big 12 there, and now I want to get back into uh, uh, checking on the Big 10. And, and you know, we, this is a rougher show, but I also like to keep track in, of, of some of the uh, other programs. Um, I do a power poll around SalSueSarah.com, and uh, this week, you know, it, it was uh, uh, <laughs> the chagrin where we definitely had to move um, Rutgers down towards that bottom end uh, of the uh, spectrum uh, in, in that poll. But, you know, one of the teams rising up in many of the polls was Indiana, who's now 3-0. Uh, and oh. So uh, it, it's a future opponent for the Scarlet Knights. I, I still remember last year's game at, at, at Rutgers, uh, which Rutgers on the scoreboard won handily, but it really was one of those games that was a little bit tighter than uh, the score, and particularly at the half and, and, and the the uh, performance that Tevin Coleman put in that game uh, over 300 yards is still something I remember, and I definitely try to draft him in every single fantasy league I could. But, uh, you know, I want to welcome, um, we've had him on the show before, uh, Sam from uh, HoosierHuddle.com. Sam, welcome uh, back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jerry. It's uh, good to be back talking Big Ten football. Uh, season's going by way too fast right now, so it's got to slow down a little bit so it can last a little bit longer. Yeah, definitely. And I know we've talked a couple of times. Uh, obviously, last time when before uh, uh, Indiana came into Rutgers, and then another time before Indiana had beaten uh, Penn State, which was actually, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, of the history, and that out there was a, a big win. Now, if you know the Hoosiers are three and zero, obviously, you know the schedule will begin to get a little tougher. Um, but, but, you know, give us a little bit about, you know, what are some of the positives that, that have, uh, you know, allowed them to take a uh, a good start early in the season? Uh, well, the first game was a, a narrow victory over Southern Illinois. It was a game where the defense kind of got torched by a, a running quarterback who was running a, a lot of read option and a 6-7 tight end who was hard to stop. But um, they've won close games. They've, they've all been second-half comebacks where – uh, usually in the past, that, that these are games that IU has lost. So a positive is that they've made the halftime adjustments. They've come back. Uh, they haven't pa- uh, panicked, and they've come back to win these games. And, and two of them against very solid opponents in uh, Florida International and Western Kentucky. And they found their, their replacement for Tevin Coleman. Uh, Jordan Howard, a transfer from UAB, is leading the nation in rushing. And uh, Nate Sudfeld is back from injury. So uh, the offense is clicking, and the, the defense is young and uh, looks to be improving. Well, you know, um, two things you mentioned there. Um, first, before I want to go ahead and uh, after this sex section, I would be taking calls. So uh, anyone out there, 914-338-1694, call in. Uh, he brings up a great point. He talked about halftime adjustments, and I would like to talk uh, a little later about Rutgers on the defense side of the ball, and I think uh, that's important. Yeah. Uh, when a when a coaching staff can do that, uh, and then secondly is uh, you know we were talking about the replacement for uh, Coleman. It was a big thing when when you were, when when they were able to get the transfer in from UAB, and it's obviously playing um, uh, dividends right now. Uh, now next week it's it's basically going you know into Wake Forest, uh, an opportunity against uh, another P5 uh, school and. 
uh, it's a pretty big game, I guess, you know, in terms of keeping the momentum going. Um, it, yeah, and if you haven't noticed on Twitter, um, the IU fan base has been uh, kind of polling for uh, game day to come to town because uh, next, after Wake Forest, IU plays uh, Ohio State and should be undefeated and ranked number one still coming in. And if Indiana can beat Wake Forest on the road, it'll be a tough challenge, but uh, they'll be 4-0 for the first time since 1990. Uh, so people have been lobbying uh, for game day uh, to come to Bloomington for the first time ever for football. Uh, so there is some buzz around the program. Uh, Wake Forest is, is a solid team. Their defense is very good. Uh, their offense is kind of shaky. It's not the strength of their team, but they do have uh, two quarterbacks who could play. Uh, last week, uh, Hinton played uh, in relief of uh, Walford, who got hurt against Army, uh, came in, ran for 113 yards and two scores. So Indiana will have their work cut out for them uh, down in Winston-Salem this weekend. So 1990, are you taking us back to the, the Anthony Thomas days? Uh, it was a year after the Anthony Thomas days. It's still the Bill Mallory era and a little bit before Trent Green. So way way back when in 1990. I think the Devils <laughs> were right. still wearing green jerseys back then. You know, but, you know, Indiana's one of those programs, and, and obviously we know, you know, it's funny because playing Rutgers, playing Kansas, who's also, you know, no disrespect, but it's it's basketball school, and, and Indiana is too. Um, but there are fans and, and that are out there and have a lot of pride in the program, so uh, it's easy to motivate and, and get everybody going rather quickly if, if some momentum starts. So, uh, you know, I wish the best of luck, uh, uh, you know, winning that opportunity against Wake Forest because it probably, you know, it will be a whole lot of fun, at least the lead up uh, into Ohio State, if they are able to win uh, at Wake Forest. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for IU and for the fan base. Um, you know, you can't overlook Wake Forest, although the fan base has somewhat kind of done that. But uh, Coach Wilson on his radio show basically shot down the idea of game day, saying that, hey, we need to uh, play better, uh, we need to win more games, and we need to start – selling out the stadium a little bit before game day could come here. So he kind of threw a, a bucket of ice water on that. But the fan base is pretty fired up right now, and uh, if they could take that momentum, uh, get a win uh, next week, uh, then they're rolling at 4-0. And, 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 I mean, realistically, they, they, they have a shot at starting 6-1. No, you know, um, yes, I, I agree. I mean, game day would be something that, that it, it doesn't come easy. I think um, – but but uh, you know the point is, as, as a fan, you just look forward to having these opportunities, and, and it's a whole lot of fun. And uh, you know, Ohio State is obviously one thing, but but you know, the opportunity to, to get a season going and you know push towards a bowl game and in a program that really hasn't had a ton of bowl games, so uh, obviously that's something uh, to to look forward. Um, I'm not sure how in tune you are with uh, other uh, you know Big Ten. Um, games, but uh, you know, let me get your general feel of how the Big Ten season has gone so far. With uh, uh, you know some of the other teams, um, you know, are, are to you is is Ohio State uh, definitely clear and above um, Michigan State at this time? No, I don't think they're definitely clear and above. Um, they have to figure out the, their quarterback situation. Uh, both guys did not look great against Northern Illinois. Uh, Michigan State looks really good. Uh, that offense looks like it's ready to roll. Uh, the defense is, is stout once again. Uh, so 
I mean, Ohio State's uh, number one. They're a close 1A, uh, number two at Michigan State. And the only reason you give Ohio State that edge maybe at the final end of the year is because Michigan State has to go to the horseshoe and play them. Uh, so other than that, they're almost even um, about. And, and if they don't, if Ohio State uh, doesn't figure out their quarterback situation, uh, you know it's going to be it could be a long nail biting season for them. Uh, also, losing their coordinator who took the head coaching job down at, at Houston uh, is a big deal because Urban's been talking about play calling responsibilities and all of that. So it, it really is a is a dead heat uh, between Ohio State and Michigan State right now. And of course, um, you know, besides, uh, you know, we've obviously talked uh, Kansas Rutgers, which uh, had a lot of people making fun of that game. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned uh, Indiana Wake uh, playing uh, an interesting game is uh, BYU heading into uh, the Big House into Michigan. Uh, BYU is actually ranked 22, having beaten um, Nebraska earlier in the year. Michigan um, first uh, game of the season was a loss to Utah. So this is now an opportunity to see if Harbaugh has been able to kind of uh, right the ship uh, over his last uh, couple of weeks since that Utah game um, where, you know, they, they just didn't seem to have any rhythm going offensively. But you clearly could see that he was kind of instilling his his uh, type of football. I mean, there was some physicality to it there. Um, who do you like in that game in uh, the uh, Cougars and the Wolverines? It's hard to bet against BYU, just how they've won their two games uh, this year on, on, on Hail Marys and all that stuff. But it, <laughs> it'll be a good game. Um, you know, it'll be a close one. I, I see Michigan should get the edge at home. It all depends on how Rudock plays. If he takes care of the ball and, and plays like he is capable of uh, without turning the ball over, uh, that should let Michigan control the clock, control the get pace of play a little bit, and, and let that home field advantage, uh, you know, step in and, and get a, their third win. Uh, it's a very they've had a very difficult non-conference schedule uh, playing all these West Coast teams. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know. <laughs> Definitely solidifying themselves as, as you know one of those um, programs that are you know, pretty much a P5 program. Some other games out there, Maryland and West Virginia, which is always kind of a fun game to watch, considering uh, uh, the, uh, the rivalry there. Um, I, I misspoke earlier when I said West Virginia, Oklahoma, actually the following week uh, after a bye um, Both. Uh, I think Iowa, Minnesota, and Ohio State are pretty easy matchups. Uh, nothing there. So does Penn State hosting San Diego State, and Illinois plays Middle Tennessee State. So uh, the other game, you know, uh, Northwestern should not have a problem with Ball State, but uh, Northwestern, let's talk about them. They're ranked 17th. Uh, you know, may be a surprise to some. I know, you know, they typically sometimes, you know, over the last couple of years have jumped out early. Uh, but is, is that a um, surprise uh, for you to see them doing so well early? Yeah, a little bit. You know, the last couple of years they've been down. Um, they, you know, uh, so Pat Fitzgerald's got them them playing well. They had that big win over Stanford in the opener. Uh, that defense is really good. Um, so it, they're starting a, a freshman at quarterback. Uh, so it is a little surprising that they've jumped out to three and zero start. But they're a talented team. They're well coached and they're smart and. 
right now they're as good as anybody uh, to, to win that Western division. Now that, you know, Corey Clement's out for four to six weeks, Minnesota's offense really isn't doing much. Iowa looks pretty good, but, you know, are, are we really buying into the this Iowa team who struggled a little bit against Pitt, got that win at the last second? Um, so, really, Northwestern's right in the mix for the West. And, right, and uh, obviously Minnesota, I think, you know, is a team that could bounce back on Wisconsin there. This week they're playing um, Hawaii. So, you know, really not too many high-profile games within the conference, but uh, definitely uh, be taking a look at that, uh, keeping score of that Indiana and uh, uh, now Wake game. Now, I know you um, actually uh, have ties to the area, uh, and um, you know, any thoughts on – some of the things that you've seen going on with the the Rutgers program, um, you know, surprised to hear some of these, uh, uh, yeah, I guess you know, negative uh, occurrences in the program. And 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 what do you feel in terms of uh, uh, Kyle Flood, the coach, whether he'll be able to survive uh, a season out of this? Um, well, coming into the season, I thought Flood was kind of on the hot seat, just from what I've heard around from people. Uh, in the New York area, who said that flood kind of rubs people the wrong way and that people in the administration don't really like him. Uh, but that's all speculation. And it's very shocking to see all these arrests and, and the emails to the professors and all that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, we've had our own problems at Indiana over the off season, but, you know, any time you get, I think it was, what, seven or seven or eight players have gotten arrested since the beginning of the year. And then you had, Suspensions. So I don't know if Flood survives this. He's been suspended now for three games, uh, which to me seems like they didn't really know what to do. They didn't want to fire him, but they needed some sort of punishment for uh, that email. And, and we'll see if um, we'll see what they do at the end of the year. If these arrests continue, uh, if there's shown that there's no leadership in this program, he might be out of luck. Yeah, I think uh, you know, good to hear a little bit from an outsider. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things though to maintain an issue is, uh, uh, you know, while Rutgers obviously now in the Big Ten, they still are not uh, receiving all full share. So there is a money question involved um, when you're taking, uh, you know, uh, into account a coach and his contract and, and a new coach and their contract and their assistant. So. Uh, a few things, and obviously as Rutgers fans, uh, you're hoping that it gets turned around. But, you know, one of the things was uh, it, it ran a clean program. Um, you know, there's always going to be some problems. But, uh, you know, on the channel, these, these types of things, and, and really under flood up until this year, were, were just non-existent. It's not even, you know, just just didn't happen. So, unfortunately, uh, that's that's the uh, what's, you know, the case going on. Like, Sam, I appreciate you um, coming on the show uh uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, early college football season, before I let you go, uh, you know, what are some of the uh, stories, I guess, that you're, that you're kind of keeping an eye on, and uh, you know, big picture in the national picture, uh, any favorites, uh, um, you know, besides Ohio State, Michigan State, that, that you think uh, uh, are, are fun teams to follow? Yeah, following the SEC West is going to be interesting. You had Alabama lose last week. Yeah, Brett Bielema running his mouth and losing to Toledo and then to Texas Tech. Um, so that'll be that'll just be interesting to watch. Um, Northwestern will be a nice Cinderella story. 
um, Cal knocking off Texas last week. Uh, who wins the Pac-12? You had USC lost to Stanford last week. Oregon might not look as strong uh, as they are, especially with Vernon Adams breaking a finger. So, you know, there are a ton of storylines all over the place. Um, you have Baylor and uh, TCU in the Big 12. That'll come down to that game. Um, you know, who's in the ACC? Uh, Clemson didn't look great. You know, Notre Dame's another national power who's undefeated right now uh, and, and playing real well, but they have injuries. So there are a ton of storylines uh, around the country, and, and this is what makes college football great. It's, a, it's such a regional uh, sport, but it affects nationally. So, you know, a game in Texas could affect people in Indiana. A game in, you know, at Rutgers could, you know, phase people in, in California. So it, it, there's really a ton. It, pick It's anybody's guess what storyline you like. Just pick the best one and run with it. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, and you know, what, what's great about it, obviously, too, is when you have a lot of these early season matchups, uh, they become mini playoff games and elimination games. Uh, you know, if you, you, know, you can only afford, uh, you know, in, in talking national champs, you can really, uh, unless you're in the SEC, uh, you know, you can't afford a loss. So uh, it, it obviously makes it um, exciting and, and suspenseful in, in some of these early season matchups. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, anybody could beat anybody on, on any given Saturday. We've seen that. Uh, so far, so I mean, the Big Ten is going to be fun to watch, and and hopefully that uh, you know it seems like you guys have embraced being in the Big Ten, and it was a great atmosphere being down at Rutgers last year. So, you know, hopefully you guys keep playing well um, and could get things turned around, and hopefully I'll uh, get to see you in Bloomington this year. That's right. There's another uh, coming out. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk again in the future, and hopefully. Uh, uh, I tell you, maybe you get that W. I'll try to get uh, get you on maybe next week, and we can uh, preview the Ohio State game. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, good luck against Kansas. Big game for you guys, um, and we'll talk again soon. All right, thanks, Jerry. All right, thanks. And now we um, want to move on. On we'll open up the call lines if anyone wants to get in. Uh, you have twenty minutes, uh, eighteen minutes left in the show, uh, so. Two big questions. The number, first of all, is 914-338-1694. Uh, you know, I, I think looking back at the Penn State game, uh, the bottom line is it really was a difficult game to, to deal with. Uh, it's kind of like you, you, you are going in uh, shorthanded. Now, this is not making excuses, but bottom line, I, in these type of games, players like Leontay Kuru make a big difference. Um, a healthy uh, Darius Hamilton makes a difference. Uh, and already with a depleted secondary, you, you saw uh, the quick passes out to the sidelines um, that, that, you know, uh, forced a lot of the Rutgers linebackers and, and safeties to shade over to those sides and, and just leave gash and hold in the middle of the field for, for the running game. Uh, it just was not pretty. Um, but with that being said, I, I think, you know, there's there's two things that, that do need to be talked about is, um, you know, one, it, it, this is college football. You know, I'm, I'm talking to uh, – earlier we had uh, David, and we were talking about uh, the struggles that Kansas has. Uh, so, you know, giving up 41 points, 55 points. Um, but they've scored points. Uh, you know, they, they, well, they scored 38 in the first game. They scored uh, over 20 uh, in, in, the, in the previous game. Uh, you know, this is college football. You, you – 
can and should put up points. And, uh, you know, one thing about Rutgers, I think, over the years, I've uh, been too content with uh, just playing the grind it out and, and uh, a style of offense where you don't put up points, and that's fine. Uh, when you have a solid, solid defense. But, you know, when when you don't, you have to pick up your defense. And I think, uh, you, you know, it's not acceptable when, you know, losing 13 to having six points at the half against Washington State, uh, having three points and no touchdowns against Penn State. I'm, I'm, of course, not putting solely the blame on the quarterback, uh, Chris Laviano. Uh, but in my opinion, if there is a such a close race, that was taking place uh, between Laviano and Reddick, uh, that it went down to the wire, then they shouldn't be that much to separate the two of them. Then let's see uh, what Reddick could do, uh, and at least we should have saw what he could do in, in the last quarter uh, of Penn State. I mean, um, you know, when you're kicking field goals down 28-3, to three, you're also then saying that you're not, you're not really trying uh, to make a or mount a comeback at that point. So if that's the case, then, then let your backup quarterback play and let us see what he can do uh, under the same circumstances that the previous quarterback was facing. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, you know, none of us are at practices. We don't get to see it. But uh, what I saw in the first half of, of the play that, that um, and there was no folk state, but there was enough there to warrant playing time. And, and again, it's not solely on, on Laviano, but this is not going to be a team and a defense that you can just manage and roll out and, and, and play these you know, types of uh, grind it out and, and, and field position games when uh, there will be possessions that the other team will go up and down the field on the defense and then you need to respond. So, uh, you know, I would love to hear some other thoughts on it. Um, I just actually retweeted a couple of uh, uh, messages uh, uh, here, for example, uh, uh you know, that questioning, you know, really the zip that Laviano has in the ball. And, and those are some of the things that we know that Reddick is known for, having a strong arm. Um, and, and, you know, that pass, uh, which was called back, uh, you know, to Grant in that first game was an illustration of that. So, to me, there was really no downside to him getting into that Penn State game. Um, and really, I think if the competition was that close, uh, they really – uh, really is no reason why he should not get a chance. And then the second uh, thing that I brought up, want to bring up is, you know, you know, we saw some of these plays where uh, it just if you look back, it, it was really almost a seven to three game heading into the half. If Rutgers could have closed out that that half and, and um, or moved the ball a little bit more on that, on that last drive before it, but uh, defensively, it just seems that the adjustments are not there. Uh, I talked about that with. Sammy talking about how uh, Indiana was able to win some of their games. The the adjustments uh, on the defensive side by by Rossi just don't seem to be there. Um, you know, again, we know they're a depleted team. There is they are playing a little bit with their hands uh, behind their back, but it's you know this is Big Ten football, and I think the same way uh, that that Rutgers has a a up and coming coordinator like McDaniel's on offense. Um, you either need to have an experienced guy or an up-and-coming guy uh, that's there. And, and uh, you know, now we're in year two of this, and it doesn't seem like Rossi is that guy. And then Rutgers needs to potentially uh, go in a different route. Or so let's start to see a little bit more out of Rossi if he's being held back. So uh, those are my two thoughts on, on what I thought 
you know, in this game. Obviously, coming up, Kansas has a has a it presents a opportunity for Rutgers to right the ship. Um, there's really no excuse for them to to not be able to to impose their will on offense. Um, but you know, there is no way if the Scarlet Knights do not have, I, I want to say, at least 14 to 17 points at the half. Uh, that if that is not the case, then they need to go another route at the quarterback position, regardless of what's going on defensively. Uh, and and this is really a, a a must win in terms of not allowing the wheels to fall off. Uh, one and three with a schedule that 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 you know is Michigan State, Ohio State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, all still to come. Uh, it, it can get ugly very fast. So this is a urgency that the team needs to play and coach, to coach and play with some urgency. So uh, look forward. Uh, to uh, getting out there and enjoying a, another beautiful weather day and homecoming. It's homecoming, a noon start for those who are making it out there. So, uh, everyone, if you uh, are uh, uh, in the area and the ability to get down there, I say, uh, yeah, take take the opportunity to uh, breathe in. And, and, you know, this is actually still uh, a, a decent opponent, a Big 12 opponent, and, and the kind of schedule uh, that Rutgers has and going forward, it's... it's uh, uh, one of the few opportunities to get out there um, and, and probably not uh, have to deal with uh, such craziness in terms of uh, getting tickets. So uh, if you can, get out there. Uh, this is RU fan Jerry. Uh, we will definitely um, do this again next week. And appreciate my callers, uh, David and Sam. Sam from uh, HoosierHuddle.com. Uh, and David Potter, who, uh, as I mentioned, was a contributor over at Land Grand Gauntlet. So check those two sites out, and you can follow me on RU Fan Jerry. And I appreciate y'all listening to the show and the opportunity to talk Rutgers football and get our minds away from uh, some of the other stuff that's been going on. Uh, again, the next week, I will talk to you guys.